sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right. Wow, wow, wow. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We are live and direct to you from the Stacy on the Right Show studios. Same station, same person, same bad channel. Uh, but we are digital now. We are all digital and we're back after a week hiatus from some changes that occurred over at Urban Family Talk, namely that Urban Family Talk no longer exists. So um, the time slot that I had on American Family Radio was given to another host. And that brings me to you live from this studio, the same place where I was before, um, coming at you with the same program, same everything, only uh, to start off with, we're an hour. So we have a lot of different places you can find the program. I wanna welcome people who are watching on Facebook, people who are live streaming us on YouTube, and also people who are looking at us from uh, the super fun, super awesome site that we have, which is stacyontheright.com. So you can go there and uh, I'll have a link up. So we, we're, this is all so fluid and so fantastic. I will have a link up for you. There's a chat room there too. Um, I'll have a link for you to go and find um, the place where the podcasts are stored. And we have really had a great run with this um, so far. Namely, that we have, and I want to make sure you can still hear me because um, I had to mute my my, tele, my my actual laptop where this is streaming from. And we're going to have some equipment upgrades and we're going to be doing some cool stuff. Um, but I'm, it's everything's fluid, everything's in motion, but I just want to welcome you. I want to say thanks to those who are donating and making this happen. If you've been to my Patreon and you have uh, decided that you're going to help the show, I can't thank you enough because I can't do this without you. Um, not being employed by AFR means exactly that. I'm no longer getting a paycheck from there. So I have obviously some ability to, like we, we have this up and running and we're super excited about it, um, but there's gonna be some equipment purchases that we have to make to replace the equipment that is that belongs to AFR that we'll have to go back to them. And so that that's ongoing. Um, but basically I just have to say, we're back. And I'm super excited about it. I didn't want to go away. You know how it is when something, you get bad news. You're like, could could I survive? Like, do I, am I supposed to do this? That's one of the things that happens. You ask yourself, maybe I'm not supposed to do this. Like, why would this happen if I was supposed to do this job? Well, it happened um, because God has something else in store. And I remember the last show I did on AFR, I actually pre-recorded it with my producer because there were some pro-life events to go to that next day. I didn't know I wouldn't be back that Monday. So I was previewing and saying, hey, um, you know, don't forget on Monday, I'm going to finish off um, a discussion that we had on air about, um, you know, loving God. And it was just like this whole thing. Like we, it was just this whole amazing thing. And then, no, nothing. Like it's over. Goodbye. See you later. But not really, because here I am and I'm back. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, what are we going to do on the show today? Well, first of all, next segment, we're going to chat with Cassie Smedley. She's amazing. She's going to be with us here on our launch today. I'm so excited. Um, we are also going to be talking about the lawsuit that was filed over an unfair transgender competition type thing. We are going to be talking about um, when ball becomes ball. PG&E agreeing to $1 billion in settlements with the California towns that were ravaged by the wildfire. Remember, our slogan here, one of them is, when people don't do their jobs, other people die. And that's what happened at PG&E. And then, could the 2020 election hinge on taxes? Now, why would I ask that? Well, because there are some issues that the Democrats are not currently handling. Like, they're literally not taking care of these issues because they're too busy arguing over who's black. So we'll launch into that in just a second. I wanted to continue this because I promised it to you and I'm good for my word. And that is the last segment we did on the air a, a week ago Friday was on motives to godly living. And the scripture references for that one, God is good, God is generous, and God is gracious. This is part two. Uh, we're James 1, 5 through 8 and James 1, 17. And so we went through the need to understand what motivates people to godly lives, the fear of God, um, and we talked about the love of God. So let's wrap this up. How do people come to possess such a love of God? And if you're missing that, guess what? You can go to listen.stacyontheright.com. That takes you to our podcast page. The podcast page has every single episode that we did over at Urban Family Talk and American Family Radio. So you can listen to that one hour one. I think it's episode 497, 
Uh, it's the most recent episode at the very top. You can click on that and listen to that hour to catch the first segment is like 13 minutes and you can catch the first part of this teaching if you want to. Um, but I want to finish this off because I promised I would and I was prevented from doing so by having my contract terminated, but that doesn't mean anything to me. I'm still here. I'm still your hostess with the mostest. So how do people come to possess the love of God that was discussed as an essential part of daily living? Psalm 147, 11 says, the Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. So fearing him and hoping in his love are absolutely compatible. You can fear a being in the sense of awe, reverence, and respect, and still hunger for and expect their love. It is the most primary of requirements. Matthew 22, 36 through 38 says, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, the first and greatest commandment. So love is an even better motivation for obedience. If you love me, you will obey what I command, which is that's from John 14, 15. So how do people come to possess such a love? By experiencing God, first of all, experience him as the father, the son and the Holy Spirit. Okay, you can rely on God and experience him at work in your life. What's an example of that? Me sitting here broadcasting to you right now. The love of God as demonstrated to me in a person that I still haven't met, that I don't actually know personally because we have not met in real life, who is actually producing this show right here, right now. That doesn't happen on my own. It's not by my own fantasticness that I've come to meet Noah and he's producing the show. No, no, it's a godsend. It's God preparing the way for this event, this bad news that I'm experiencing, quote unquote, that I didn't know was coming because I can't see around corners, but God not only sees around them, he made all the corners and he's worked everything out for my good. Every eventuality, every decision that I decide to make, he's already aware of all of that and he's working it out for my good. And this is something that I'm I'm saying this because I know there's gotta be somebody tuning in today who you're in the valley with me and we're skipping together arm in arm where you got bad news about work or maybe it's your health or something financial. And you're sitting there reeling like I was a week ago It was literally just the Monday after I'd found out that my contract had been terminated and I was sitting there with my slightly puffy eyes thinking, what does this mean? Because I just assumed and planned that I would be at American Family Radio for the foreseeable future. I thought that was my last radio job. God had other plans. And, and I was kind of bristling under the idea that it was God's will that I would no longer be at AFR. That didn't seem right to me. But I knew at that point, I'd I'd met and discussed with Noah online the possibilities, and he was just so awesome. And so I was like, well, maybe this could work out. I mean, I do trust God. I just don't understand what's happening to me right now. So I just had to keep walking it out. That meant a little bit of crying and a little, you know, going into my word, all that stuff. But it meant I knew God would work this out for my good. And so I had to trust that. So 1 John 4, 19 says, We love because he first loved us. Love by comprehending his love for us. So how do we do that? Well, we read about God. I'm right there, y'all. I'm right there. I was reading my words, searching the scriptures, looking for some encouragement, looking for something to bind my wounds. And also by loving him through reading about his love for people, God providing for people, his wondrous love, all things we can read about in his word. By learning about God, when you learn how good and gracious God is, how very compassionate, how he works for us, you can't help but fall in love with him all over again, which we're currently reading um, in Bible study, Psalm 23. It's a book written by a man who was born in Africa, South Africa, and he was actually a shepherd over flocks of sheep for a huge portion of his life. And he's an expert in shepherding. And he wrote a book about Psalm 23. And it is an amazing look. The comparisons between humans and sheep is not just something that you take lightly. Humans are compared to sheep because we're very much like them. That's a weird thing to admit. I don't see myself as being incompetent or idiotic, but humans on the whole, we're a lot like sheep. So reading that has encouraged me, not because I want to be like sheep, literally, but because God cares for the sheep because he's the shepherd and we are the sheep. Um, Talk with others about God. Talk about what he has done. Talk about how, you know, God teaches us to love each other. We can pray and we can read scriptures. And then we can imitate God. And how do we imitate God? Ephesians 5, 1 through 2 says, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, 
and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Imitate him and thus learning his nature. Try it. You'll like it. <laughs> That's my assurance for you there. Try it. You will like it. Romans 12, 1 through 2 says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And I, I'll admit to you right here, right now, I actually thought to myself, maybe the reason why my contract was terminated is because I, this is done. Like this, this part of my life is done. Radio is done. I've had so much fun doing it. Maybe this isn't what I'm supposed to do. And I prayed about that. Because I have, you know, my husband and I, we have three kids, two are in college, but we still have one at home. And there's a lot to do. There are a lot of places that would be happy for me to come on and volunteer or, you know, other work that I could do. I have other skills. I could just go work somewhere else. Um, but I didn't feel like that's what God had for me. I looked at the outpouring of people reaching out and saying, wait a minute, where are you? Don't quit. And I looked at what my husband was saying and what the kids were saying. And I looked to God's word and I looked to people who they're not as closely integrated with the radio part of my life. They just know me in other aspects. And I kind of took feedback from them. And then I took some wise counsel and I felt like God's not done with this yet. This isn't over for me. And so I'm going to keep doing it. I'm not going to stop. But it meant I had to figure out a way forward. And God sent the answers for that as well. I prayed for the answers and he sent them. And I'm still praying. I'm just, you know, let's please not act like this is over. So let's close this out. We have to learn to love God. We have to make it personal. This has to be something that we're committing ourselves to. And we have to say to ourselves, this is my first thing that I'm going to do. This is my first thing. The Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and he will add everything else to you. Also, I know for a fact that the people who've comforted me the most are those who have been through similar situations themselves. And so when I go through a situation like this, where I've been basically put out of the family, no offense to AFR, because I still love the people who work there. I love the couple who took my time slot on AFR. This isn't about hatred. It's about just acknowledging the feeling that I have had this past seven plus days of basically being cut off and told you're not a part of us anymore. And that hurts. But God is my ultimate, not just my savior and, and my everything. He's also my employer and I work for him. And so if I'm no longer to work there, it doesn't mean I'm not to do this work. It just means not over there anymore. So there's no hatred or anger towards those people. It's about what do I do next? And it's about me saying, I'm going to keep seeking after you. I'm not giving up on this. I'm not giving up on my encouragement segments. I'm not going to stop speaking the truth in love, the Christian truth as in the only truth there is. I'm going to keep doing it. So I have to give God credit when something good happens and I have to look to him when something bad happens because I know he's going to work it out for my good. So James 1, 16 through 17 says, don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of the heavenly lights. And I have to realize how much I've personally been forgiven and taken care of even in this situation. Luke 747 says, but he who has been forgiven little loves little. So appreciating things like truth, righteousness, unselfish love, honor, honor, all things pure and noble. These are of God, of his nature, and teach us to love the one that they describe. So what am I saying to you? Well, I got to say no to ungodliness and worldly passion. I have to find motivation to live a self-controlled, upright, and godly life in this present age where God has placed me. I have to teach the children that God has given to my husband and I, and I have to acquire and teach these heartfelt concepts, learning to fear God and learning to love him in every situation, every circumstance, even one such as this. And when I do that, he will bless me, not in the way that I maybe want to be blessed, but in the way that is best for me. And so that's what makes this whole Stacy on the Right Show digital launch so special because it's just been a week, a week that I took to sleep and catch up on some things at home. I cleaned like a demon. I spent time with my husband and the kids and I relaxed knowing that God would work it out. And now here I am with basically the same everything 
I mean, listen to my, there's my bumper music. It's like a comfort to me to hear it. <laughs> and all of you, all of you, all the emails, all the reaching out that you've done. I've been so encouraged by it. So we'll be back with Cassie Smedley after this. Keep it here. This is Just a Minute with Stacey Washington. As we watch in horror, nightly news plays images of starved Venezuelan citizens run down in the streets as they protest for freedom from the murderous socialist dictator Nicolas Maduro. He has starved his citizens, deprived them of health care, food and supplies, all while maintaining a very healthy figure. Without the support of his well-armed military, Maduro would have been deposed months ago. But the collapse of Venezuela began back in 2012, when private ownership of firearms was outlawed. Only military and police forces and a few security contractors are permitted to purchase guns from a state-owned weapons manufacturer. Citizens were forced to give up their guns or face 20 years in jail. Now only criminals own guns. In more ways than one, Venezuela is a cautionary tale for Americans toying with socialism and gun control. I'm Stacey Washington. Find out more at StaceyOnTheRight.com. Stacey on the Right is brought to you by the Ask Noah Show, airing every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Central. Do you have questions about Linux or tech? Enjoy hearing others speak tech? Well, this is the podcast for you. You can listen to previous episodes at AskNoahShow.com. That's AskNoahShow.com. Join the Ask Noah Show community by adding their Telegram group or participating in the interactive online community chat. Ask Noah also brings you Speed Technologies. Wherever you are in the U.S., give them a call or click today to learn how Speed can take your business IT infrastructure to the next level. Tune in on demand at asknoahshow.com or listen live every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Central Time. This is Just a Minute with Stacey Washington. Encourage means to give support, confidence, or hope to someone. That is one of the chief aims of the Stacey on the Right Show. One might think that a political opinion program should loudly rail against the machine. But it was 1 Thessalonians 5.11 that launched the Daily Encouragement segment. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as you are doing. Or Joshua 1.9, which says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. God's word is encouraging. I'm Stacy Washington. Find out more at StacyOnTheRight.com. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the program. Thank you so much for being here. I see people commenting that they don't see the YouTube stream. Um, I have no idea what's going on, but this is our launch day. So we will be working out the kinks over the next couple of days. I know we are streaming at StaceyOnTheRight.com, I believe. So you can find us on Facebook right now. Um, and I believe you're seeing us also on StaceyOnTheRight.com. You have to click the button. So there's a huge SOTR live stream section on the homepage. Oh, there I am. Yeah, so that's happening. Um, and when you do that, you'll get the live stream. And then we are currently, if you go to listen com, that takes you to our Fireside podcast page where all of our episodes are listed. All 500 or so of the ones from American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. And then all of these going forward will be there. Um, I'm telling you guys, this, this is just so amazing that we're able to do this, but this is the digital age and I am now in the mix and keeping up with it. So I can't wait another second. I have to talk to Cassie Smedley. She's the RNC comms director. And my friend, Cassie, thanks for joining in today. Hey, Stacey. Great to be with you. <laughs> We're back. <laughs> Your new home. I love it. I am so excited. I was like, can I get um, somebody <laughs> when I emailed over? And she was like, yes, of course you can. And then she said it was you. I was like, yes. What a better way to start over again. I love it. I love it. I'm so excited. So let's talk about like 
Our president was making some serious waves this weekend. He was all over the world, first of all. And on the way back home, <laughs> he stopped off in South Korea and ended up putting his feet in North Korea. <laughs> That's right. I love how you put that. I don't know about you, but when I woke up yesterday morning and you know, rolled over, looked over at my phone, I thought I was watching something fake. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. And that certainly woke me up. And I guess I shouldn't be surprised. This is a president who never misses an opportunity to try and make progress or do something, you know, do some work and get something done. And it was a really uh, momentous occasion. I know the mainstream media was quick to try and criticize it, but I got a text message from a friend not in D.C., not remotely involved in politics, who said, hey, I'm just seeing this on the news, and I don't know what it really means, but oh my gosh, that that's pretty incredible. And I think that's where people are right now when they're looking at President Trump, especially compared to what we saw with the debates this week, which I know we'll get to in a minute, but... When you see a president who on every front seems to constantly be working towards something that people previously never thought possible, um, that, that means something to Americans, and it means something to voters to have a president who's willing to be bold um, in the name of trying to build a better life and, frankly, a better world for all of us. Ah, uh, okay. Um, I, and I totally, I, I agree. I'm, one of the things that is so interesting about what he did was the way that he kind of just sent out a quick little social media check. And then mm -hmm. they reached out to him and they were like, um, yeah, we, we'd love to have you come. And then, then he, then it, he actually was like, okay, just point this thing over that way. And so they fly there and he lands. And then he said, if you, if you ask me in, I'll come, right. I'll, I'll come into your country. And so then, I just thought it was so phenomenal. I'm sitting there watching it. And Cassie, I honestly, I honestly couldn't, it was, it was kind of surreal. Like I, I remember a moment like this back when um, they tore down the wall between East and West Germany. And we were actually, my parents still lived in Germany at the time. And I just graduated from high school and gone up to college. And then they, they tore this wall down. And it was like seeing some, it had been there the entire time I'd lived there in Germany for like uh, 14 years uh, from time I was a kid till I graduated from high school. And it was such a fixture that seeing it torn apart and my parents have a piece of it um, with the graffiti on one side and the hard concrete on the other. And they just, it was just like one of these things where I couldn't believe it was happening. And this was like that. I'm watching the president walk up to the line. He reaches across it and shakes his hand. Then Kim Jong-un gestures like, please come in. And then President Trump says, I would love to come in and steps over the line. I'm, I was just like, I could, we could have been in a football game or a basketball game. I just was, I wanted to scream. I wanted to yell. Yes, yes. Yay. Yay. I felt like it was a victory for us. Like we won something. We did something amazing. Absolutely. And to think that, you know, this is, I love that President Trump, you know, typical Washington, certainly typical Washington politician, if someone were to indicate, certainly one of your adversaries were to say, we would be open to a meeting. You know, in Washington, they would convene a committee to have a planning commission, to have a think tank involved, you know, all these things. And the president, the deal maker, comes from business, says, you get them right at their, mo their point where they are most ready to talk to you, right? That's when you can get something done. So I love, you can envision that moment where he says, let's point the plane that way. But um, so they go and he's like, let's, let's talk while I'm here and while we have some momentum for this. And you see, I, I like the contrast of you have Kim who comes out, he's trying to look very authoritative and very strict and stern. And then you have the president who walks out with a big smile on his face. So it's glad to be here. And Kim immediately, or the chairman, I guess, immediately sort of backs down a little bit. And now there's this rapport. And you notice how President Trump talks about him in this, we have a good rapport. We have a good relationship. You don't make a deal with your adversary by shining a light on how much y'all disagree. You find the common agreement, right, that says it makes sense for us to be working together. This is for good. I think it's so interesting that there are those who would say, it's unthinkable that he would even talk to him. Well, there were those who said it was unthinkable that Reagan would talk to Gorbachev, to your point. There are those who thought it was just unthinkable that we would even spend our time even in Middle East peace negotiations. It only happens because you do take the time to understand what it will take to get something done and, and forge that relationship. And sometimes relationships are forged with the people you would least expect. But 
just think, just two and a half years ago, when the president took office, a nuclear war with North Korea seemed inevitable. Everyone was bracing for it. We thought for sure it would be the first crisis on President Trump's hands. And now look at what we witnessed yesterday. That's mm. incredible is the only word I know to describe it. Ah, oh, so I'm so excited about that. Um, thank you for joining us today, Cassie. We'll be back with more right after this. This is Just a Minute with Stacey Washington. Emily Ratajkowski and other Hollywood elites are now admitting that black women have much higher abortion rates than every other demographic. Instead of admitting that Planned Parenthood targets society's weeds, which is white supremacist code for black people, for extermination within the tradition of its founder, Margaret Sanger, famous abortion defenders are making this spurious claim. Peddling the lie that the babies who have been aborted are future criminals makes their death a public service. This means that white liberals believe 40% of black babies will grow up to be criminals. Never mind that this is a completely racist statement that defies all logic. The methodology behind this has been soundly debunked. Never mind that analysis by John R. Lott and John E. Whitley show abortion actually increases crime. No matter what, Democrats just continue to lie and kill the babies for money. I'm Stacey Washington. Find out more at StaceyOnTheRight.com. Stacy on the Right is brought to you by the Ask Noah Show, airing every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Central. Do you have questions about Linux or tech? Enjoy hearing others speak tech? Well, this is the podcast for you. You can listen to previous episodes at asknoahshow.com. That's asknoahshow.com. Join the Ask Noah Show community by adding their Telegram group or participating in the interactive online community chat. Ask Noah also brings you Speed Technologies. Wherever you are in the U.S., give them a call or click today to learn how Speed can take your business IT infrastructure to the next level. Tune in on demand at asknoahshow.com or listen live every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Central Time. This is Just a Minute with Stacey Washington. Bet you didn't know that cheesy rice cauliflower you're eating for lunch is racist, but it is, according to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And yet another mind-blowing trip into the banalities of her intellect, AOC is found wandering through a community garden, lamenting the produce grown there because white colonialism or something. Yes, my friends, lurking amongst the flora, if there is cauliflower present, are the seeds of colonial environmentalism. Instead of encouraging blacks to grow veg they're familiar with, like yucca plants, oppressors offer cauliflower, which is white, which means it's bad. You got to admit that AOC has skills. This woman can twist a delicious vegetable into a symbol of dastardly colonial oppression. Of course, I'm already planning a colonial cauliflower mac and cheese for our next Sunday brunch at home. My family will love it. I'm Stacey Washington. Find out more at StaceyOnTheRight.com. Welcome back to Stacey on the Right. Hey there. Welcome back to the program. I understand we are having some difficulty. We actually had maybe you weren't able to hear our guest, Cassie Smedley. And I saw some people getting upset, which I'm, I totally understand. You're looking for a professional production. Um, and I'm sorry about that. I also am not sure why we have like additional audio feeds going on from different places, but we will get the kinks worked out. Stick with us. Um, but right now, I want to get back to the rest of the show. And we have some audio from Don Lemon. Now, listen to me now, people. Be, be with me. Be, stick with me. Don Lemon, um, he's, he's, he's not one of my favorite like, people, not because I dislike him personally, but because he really is very biased against conservatives and anybody who has anything to do with like, not being a leftist. But there's an instance, there's this, the story is from the weekend. And that was one of the things that we're, I told you we we're going to talk about yesterday when we were doing our test. And that is, we've got uh, Kamala Harris, who is of Indian and J- Jamaican c- descent. And she is someone who is claiming the American black experience. Now, there's a hashtag for it, which I just recently learned about. It's ADOS, American Descendant of Slaves. So anyone who's an American who's black, who's a descendant of slaves, uh, can like, claim that hashtag. Now, I, when I learned about it at first, I thought, okay, this, this is not something. I'm not into identity politics. I don't care about this. But I actually do care about it because if Kamala Harris is going to call herself 
an American descendant of slaves, that's a bit of a problem for me because there's a whole history behind that, which if you go back and watch our show that we did with um, Ann Coulter, you'll understand what I'm talking about. Ann Coulter actually discussed, and this, this is pretty, pretty amazing. Ann Coulter discussed how we're all, all of us, if you're black and descended from slaves, you're more closely related to she, to, to Ann Coulter and people like her. She's, she's someone who's been here since the Civil War, since before that. Uh, her family has. And she's descended from people who immigrated here and, and they were here during that time. And so are we, uh, my family. So we're, I'm like closer in relation to her than I am to someone who has recently immigrated from the continent of Africa. And that's important because that makes us one people group. And I stress over and over again, it's a part of the new launch of the show is that I'm righteously American. And I hope you are too. Righteously meaning I'm serving the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm seeking him first. And then I am for, for my country, for America. And those are two things that have to be, they have to work. They have to. Either they, they work or I don't love where I live. And if I don't love where I live, why do I live here? In, in, a, in a society like this, in a, in, I can immigrate anywhere. I can become a citizen of any other country. Why not go do it if I don't love America? So what makes this so annoying is that Kamala Harris just wants to pick up the mantle of Barack Obama and take it and run with it. Barack Obama was not an ADOS, an American descendant of slaves. His mom was white and she was not descended from slaves. And his father was straight out of Kenya and not a, not a descendant of slaves. So he took on a mantle that his wife could claim. His wife, Michelle, is ADOS. So the, he was able to pull it off. The excitement around him and his family, uh, it worked. She wants to pick up that mantle. So Ali Alexander, who's a friend of mine, his tweet went viral. It was retweeted by Don Jr. And when that happened, there was this big discussion about what is he saying? It was on Meet the Press. It was on every major news show over the weekend. They were ripping him apart, calling him far right, saying he was a grifter and he was only tweeting these things for money. People accused him of being a bot. But in reality, he's not a bot. He wasn't doing this for money. He was just saying the truth. And if you don't know what Kamala Harris's background is, then you can always just say, I'm going to go ahead and find out what her background is, right? Like, can you just go find out what her background is? That's my question. Instead of being hateful towards the person who sent a tweet that maybe you don't like. So in order to bolster what Ali Alexander said, I want to listen to what Don Lemon said about the exact same subject. And you'll hear some over talking back and forth between him and his guest. It's April Ryan. She's arguing with him because in her mind, all that matters is if they win. But in Don Lemon's mind, he's saying people have a valid reason to question her, her background and to say, look, you consider yourself to be a black person. Okay, you live, grew up in a black neighborhood and you have the black experience. You're tan with dark hair. You know, you're brown with dark hair. You, you feel black. You lived as a black woman. Okay, fine. But are you an American descendant of slaves? And if you're not, why would you claim that as your background? And that's what he's saying. So listen to him. It's number one. Yes. More power to her. And I think what? it's great. That is that should be enough. Listen, it is enough that she's a black woman. We are not a model. But no, 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 exactly. no, 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 no but to, uh, to, to want a saying. distinction to say, is she African-American or is she black or is she whatever? That what's, there is nothing wrong with that. There is a difference between being African-American and being black. Um, la people, la people, Latino people are people of color but they're not black, they're brown people. She is a okay? woman of color, but she is a black woman. Okay, that's she, why I agree with that. I agree with that, but now, is she African-American? No, 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 no. But is she African-American? That is a difference. There's nothing wrong with that. No one is trying so to take anything away from her. Let's go down into her lineage. Let's I think you're falling, I think you're you falling into, into a trap lineage, of that. All she had to do was no, say, I am black, no, I'm but I'm not African-American. That's it. I'm not falling into a trap. I'm not falling in. Let me, let me, let me finish. Hold on. I'm not falling into a trap by that. When, when, when she goes down her lineage, many Africans landed on in Jamaica and all these other Caribbean islands. So she could indeed Jamaica's be African-American, mixed with others. But she is Jamaica's not America. But she is a black woman. She Jamaica was born did not here. Come out of Jim Crow. Okay, well, let's, let's go saying. into Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz, Ted Cruz was born in Canada. I'm not talking about Ted Cruz. This is not Cuban. about Ted Cruz. You're changing know, the subject. I know, but you know what? We cannot. It was hypocrisy. I'm not changing the subject. Yes, you are. She, she's the a subject. black this woman. I don't know what you Ted want. Cruz. Okay.
So he's arguing with her, right? So the, the arguer, the, the argument that he's making is a simple one. If, it, if this is about her being an ADOS, then she's not one. If it's about her living the black experience as a person who has brown skin in America, okay, fine. So he wraps it up. Here it is in number two. That's a whole different conversation. People are asking you if you are of the, uh, an African-American, someone who came out of Jim Crow, out of uh, American slavery. Are, you, are, are your descendants okay, you out go. of that? That's all I'm saying. And there's nothing wrong with saying, yes, I am, or no, I'm she not, but I'm still a black, a black person. She feels the effects of being a black woman in America. Absolutely. She feels the effects of I don't, Jim Crow I don't being a black person in America. I don't disagree with that. But all there's right. nothing wrong with, remember, when people ask you if you're African-American or if you're other, if you're black, it is, there, there's nothing wrong with distinguishing uh, what, what you're relationship to Africa and America is. Just like there's nothing wrong for a, a person who is of Latino descent to say, I am Puerto Rican. Or someone to say, I am from Costa Rica. Or I am from Cuba. Or I, 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 I am Cuban. There's nothing wrong with, with making a distinction to say that you are a black person who comes out of the American tradition of being black or African American. What, what is wrong with that? Absolutely nothing. All she had to do was say, I'm a black woman. My ancestors are not African American. And then just move on. I don't see that's not a controversy. It should not be controversial at all. So it shouldn't be controversial. The reason it is controversial is because if you're if you're paying attention, you know that there is only one thing that the Democrats care about when it comes to the black community, and that's our votes. And when they decide that they've propped up some new person for us to bow down to and vote for without getting anything back for our votes, then that's what we had better do. No, no, no questions, no ability to say, uh, I'm, I, I like this or I don't like that or I want something new. No, you don't get to do any of that. What you get to do is you get to say, I'm voting for the Democrats. And if you don't vote for the Democrats, then you're out. And this is what they do with me and other people who are, um, you know, not Democrats. They say you're out. You're not in. You're not getting uh, to do this. You're not, you're, you're, what you're not going to do is you're not going to act like you're a part of us because, um, you know, you, you're not voting for the Democrats. That's really the only litmus test they have. Uh, do you believe the things the Democrats are currently putting forward? No, then you're not one of us. And so since Kamala believes she gets to declare that she's black, she gets to have the black experience, even though she doesn't have the same background as black American blacks, and that we would expect someone to just be honest about it. Not that she has to change who she is or that there's something wrong with her for not being ADOS, but that she's not even, she's not even willing to tell the truth about herself because the package that's been presented to us has to be agreed to and voted upon. And that has to be what we live with. And they will brook no dissension. So Don Lemon was ahead of the curve when he said this. It wasn't even a big deal that they had this argument, but it's a big deal if Ali Alexander points it out because Ali Alexander... He's supposed to be, again, he is supposed to be shut down, marginalized, kicked to the curb because he is not allowed to say these things. Everyone else can say it if they're on the left. And we know Don Lemon is going to vote for whoever the nominee is so he can criticize all he wants. He's a reliable person to send votes their way. Um, so, it, again, it's not the most important thing, but it's definitely interesting to watch. So I, I want to just acknowledge, I know people on the Stacey on the Right Show page are talking about the, um, in the chat room, they're talking about there's a, some problem with sounds. Um, okay, so there's, there's some problems with the sound. I don't know if it's the sound from me or what. Like, I don't know what's going on. Um, See, I can hear that on, on the blog. So I know my sound is coming through from me. I know we had some problems with the guest and I'm not sure if you got audio, but that was Don Lemon. Um, and you'll find that in the show notes from today's show when you go to listen.stacyontheright.com and we will get this worked out. Have no fear. Um, so now I want to talk about the when ball becomes ball. And I found this interesting um, because as a parent, we had this same kind of problem happen. Kids sports involvement becoming a family idol. And so it's, it's, you know, in, in the story, he talks about, his name's Jim Elif. 
He talks about kids playing sports in the neighborhood and how rare it is to see kids playing baseball or, you know, you'll, you'll see kids sometimes playing basketball together. But it, on the whole, you don't see kids in the neighborhood playing sports anymore. It's become organized and professionalized with uniforms and state-of-the-art facilities, endless trips to the field, competitive coaches, competitive parents, after-season tournaments. Um, and you've got to, you know, pay and then you have to actually show up. And kids learn a lot. And, uh, and I know the, the underground joke with parents and sports is you put your kids in a ton of sports to keep them off drugs. That's, I've had people tell me that a million times. Now, I never thought, oh, we're going to have a ton of problems with our kids doing drugs. But I did know like you want your kids to be... <laughs> <laughs> my daughter's over at the <laughs> she's like looking at me like what she gave me the fish lips i look if you're a parent you know you do have the concern that your kid might get caught up in the wrong people and 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 have a problem and I'll, I'll tell you what you do want to keep your kids busy in in wholesome pursuits but this article is talking about um how it's gone from you know you hand over 70 bucks sign my kid up and then you know, you kind of leave it and you p go watch them play one game a week. It's gone from that to five practices a week, three games a week. And how even on Sunday when you should be in the house of the Lord or Saturday evening, if that's your thing, that you're not doing that because your kid's coach has said anyone who doesn't show up to every practice in every game doesn't play. You can't start. And so a lot of coaches, and this is what we found. If you tell a coach from the giddy up from the very beginning, I don't care how good my kid gets. They're not going to be here for um, they're not, they're not going to be here for games that are starting, you know, at at Sunday. The, any game where we have to miss church, my kid won't be there. The coach will understand that, and it won't be a problem. But if you don't say that, and you are leaving church early or skipping church to go to sports, then what you're doing is you're teaching your kids that the sports are more important than your faith and of course the team needs players the team needs people who are committed and dedicated but parents if you exercise the kind of control that you actually have you will actually be able to say you know what we would prefer is to be on a team where you don't schedule games on sunday mornings and coaches who know that that's what their team wants will respect that because what we forget is that the coaches actually schedule the games they actually get together and they lay out a schedule of games and if you decide you don't want to have games on sunday mornings there are availabilities for your kids to play sports where you're not going to play sports on sunday mornings so um again if it controls you and you give it devoted worship it's an idol for you and we don't want sports to be an idol because if you teach your kids that at while they're growing up as adults they won't even know that they're supposed to exercise care and control over making sure that they can get to the church on Sunday and do what they need to do. Now, one billion in settlements going to California towns and counties ravaged by wildfire. And I think we're supposed to be going to a break um, at 40, but we might have blown right through that. So I think what we'll do is we'll go to the break now um, and then we will come back. And when we get back, we'll be talking about PG&E agreeing to $1 billion in settlements with California towns and counties that are ravaged by wildfire. Um, yeah, and I want to say thank you for being here. <laughs> All right, more Stacey on the right after this. This is Just a Minute with Stacey Washington. As we watch in horror, nightly news plays images of starved Venezuelan citizens run down in the streets as they protest for freedom from the murderous socialist dictator Nicolas Maduro. He has starved his citizens, deprived them of health care, food and supplies, all while maintaining a very healthy figure. Without the support of his well-armed military, Maduro would have been deposed months ago. But the collapse of Venezuela began back in 2012, when private ownership of firearms was outlawed. Only military and police forces and a few security contractors are permitted to purchase guns from a state-owned weapons manufacturer. Citizens were forced to give up their guns or face 20 years in jail. Now only criminals own guns. In more ways than one, Venezuela is a cautionary tale for Americans toying with socialism and gun control. I'm Stacey Washington. Find out more at StaceyOnTheRight.com. 
Stacy on the Right is brought to you by the Ask Noah Show, airing every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Central. Do you have questions about Linux or tech? Enjoy hearing others speak tech? Well, this is the podcast for you. You can listen to previous episodes at asknoahshow.com. That's asknoahshow.com. Join the Ask Noah Show community by adding their Telegram group or participating in the interactive online community chat. Ask Noah also brings you AltiSpeed Technologies. Wherever you are in the U.S., give them a call or click today to learn how AltiSpeed can take your business IT infrastructure to the next level. Tune in on demand at asknoahshow.com or listen live every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Central Time. This is Just a Minute with Stacey Washington. Emily Ratajkowski and other Hollywood elites are now admitting that black women have much higher abortion rates than every other demographic. Instead of admitting that Planned Parenthood targets society's weeds, which is white supremacist code for black people, for extermination within the tradition of its founder, Margaret Sanger, famous abortion defenders are making this spurious claim. Peddling the lie that the babies who have been aborted are future criminals makes their death a public service. This means that white liberals believe 40% of black babies will grow up to be criminals. Never mind that this is a completely racist statement that defies all logic. The methodology behind this has been soundly debunked. Never mind that analysis by John R. Lott and John E. Whitley show abortion actually increases crime. No matter what, Democrats just continue to lie and kill the babies for money. I'm Stacey Washington. Find out more at StaceyOnTheRight.com. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right. Okay, hey, welcome back. So this is the last couple of minutes of the program, and I want to give you guys a chance to call in. <laughs> I know, I've, I've been so excited because we have so many wonderful things going on in the show, and I, I guess I can just promise you this. First of all, we all know that God is good, and He is merciful, and He is kind, um, but technology isn't. So sometimes we have glitches and all of that, and I think... You guys know that I really, I, I love a high quality, well-produced program, and we will have that again. But on day one, I got to say, um, if it, can I just be real with you for a second, which I always am, but let's get even more real. I'm so glad to be sitting here behind this mic. I could literally be cartwheeling all over the place, but I'm supposed to be talking to you. So I'm so excited to be back here. And it, whatever we're going to do going forward, it's going to involve me sitting behind this mic talking to you and being so grateful for it. And so, uh, you know, everything else, it will come together. If you want to join the show, you can call 866-766-1776, 866-766-1776. We went down to the hour format because we have to walk before we can run. And clearly, we'll be working on the, the technical aspects of the program and getting those perfect. And then if there's a need for a second hour, um, just like it was when I was on Urban and I was on one hour a day, and we did, um, it, it, we, we went there. We went to a second hour. And so we can do that again here. But first, we just need to get back in the groove after a week off and with a new format, which is digital, um, with kind of, you know, you know your girl, I, I can be pretty technical, but on this stuff, this is a learning curve, like one I've never seen before um, or haven't seen before since I was on active duty in the Air Force and I was learning how to do that job, which was extremely technical. Um, so 866-766-1776. And the other thing is, um, just so you know how momentous today is, my husband is listening. <laughs> so no, not, not that he never listened to me, but when I graduated up to national radio, he was like, you know, he, he just didn't need to listen anymore. He was like, you don't, you don't need my feedback. You're doing awesome. So he's listening today and he's like texting me as well. Like I don't, I, I couldn't hear her. That audio was really low, yada, yada, yada. So he is excited about this as well. Just, just, just the whole family is in on this thing. And I'm totally pumped about everything that we're going to be able to do going forward. Taking calls, taking guests and just doing the best, the best and the most as, as the youth would say, doing the most. Um, So uh, there was another story out today about Taylor Swift having her entire catalog purchased. And this was her first, um, well, first of all, not songs she wrote. So songs that she got from the catalog of songs that you can, you basically, you buy the lyrics and then you sing it, adjust it. You know, you have the music written, et cetera. That's where she got the majority of her first songs. 
And so this guy named Scooter Braun just purchased Big Machine Records, which holds the rights to her entire catalog up through 2017's reputation. And she called it her worst case scenario. She said she was shocked to first learn of the transfer of her work through news accounts Sunday morning. And the guy who bought the catalog has actually declined to comment for uh, the, the story at Variety. She actually posted to Tumblr and she said, for years I asked and pleaded for a chance to own my own work. Instead, I was given an opportunity to sign back up to Big Machine Records and earn one album back at a time, one for every new one I turned in. I walked away because I knew once I signed that contract, Scott Borchetta would sell the label, thereby selling me and my future. I had to make the excruciating choice to leave behind my past. Music I wrote on my bedroom floor. Wow, I didn't realize she wrote those. And videos I dreamed up and paid for from the money I earned playing in bars and then clubs and then arenas and then stadiums. Some fun facts about today's news. I learned about Scooter Braun's purchase of my master's as it was announced to the world. All I could think about was the incessant manipulative bullying I've received at his hands for years. Like when Kim Kardashian orchestrated an illegally recorded snippet of a phone call to be leaked and then Scooter got his two clients together to bully me online about it. Or when his client Kanye West organized a revenge porn music video which stripped me naked. Now Scooter has stripped me of my life's work and I wasn't even given an opportunity to buy it. Essentially, my musical le legacy is about to lie in the hands of someone who tried to dismantle it. This is my worst case scenario. This is what happens when you sign a deal at 15 to someone for whom the term loyalty is clearly just a contractual concept. And when that man says music has value, he means its value is beholden to men who had no part in creating it. When I left my masters in Scott's hands, I made peace with the fact that eventually he would sell them. Never in my worst nightmares did I imagine the buyer would be Scooter. Anytime Scott Borchetta has heard the words Scooter Braun escape my lips, it was when I was either crying or not to, trying not to. He knew what he was doing. They both did. Controlling a woman who didn't want to be associated with them in perpetuity. That means forever. Thankfully, I'm now signed to a label that believes I should own anything I create. Thankfully, I left my past in Scott's hands, not my future. And hopefully, young artists or kids with musical dreams will read this and learn about how to better protect themselves in a negotiation. You deserve to own the part. You deserve to own the art you make. I will always be proud of my past work, but for a healthier option, Lover, Swift's first album through her new deal with Universal Music, will be out August 23rd, sad and grossed out, Taylor. I read that to you because it's not just in the music industry that you have to argue and fight for ownership over your own intellectual property. And so I'll just say this because I, I, don't, I don't need to go into anything that's happened in my past. I'm not nearly at the level of Taylor Swift when it comes to popularity or success or anything like that. But anytime you create something, you are the owner of that intellectual property. And now, should you decide to sell that intellectual property for money and give its ownership over to someone else, that's your decision. But I always recommend that you pray over the t these things. So any negotiation that you're doing, pray over it and don't negotiate afraid. If they have a desire to buy something from you, it means you have something of value. Never give that up. We'll be back with you tomorrow. God bless.